Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah with trappingtoday.com. And uh, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Appreciate having you along. It is mid to late February as I record this. And uh, the weather's finally starting to warm up a little bit here in northern Maine. Um, quite a difference when the weather gets up into uh, the 20s and 30 degrees Fahrenheit here. Um, it just uh, it makes a world of difference. I just sit outside and watch a nice, beautiful sunset. Probably the nicest sunset we've had all winter long. So when the sun doesn't shine and it's 0 to 10 degrees out Fahrenheit, it's not a lot of fun here. I know you northern Canada and Alaska trappers are a lot tougher than that. You're used to colder temperatures. Um, but sometimes I let it get to me and I probably shouldn't. But anyway, um, I talked in the last podcast a lot about uh, fur prices, auctions, and so on. Um, just a couple of quick plugs in in this episode we're going to get into trapping lure. Uh, but first, a couple of things. Uh, if you want to learn to trap coyotes, coyotetrappingschool.com. Uh, that's Chris Pope. He's got a video training school there. Uh, it's it's a really neat program. He's got about four hours of video courses. And if you go through Trapping Today, uh, you can uh, get 20% off of that. So you get a year access. It's normally 100 bucks. You get that for about $80. Bucks. Um, really useful if you're starting from scratch trying to learn how to trap coyotes. So if you get a chance, check that out. Uh, that's coyotetrappingschool.com slash trapping today. Or you can just go to my site and uh, click over to that. And the second thing is we've got the Fur Profit book out and for sale. I've got it on trappingtoday.com. And it's a trapper's guide to modern fur market. Uh, lots of options. Teach you how to uh, how to sell fur, where to sell fur, um, different marketing options and alternatives. You can go through, I think it's a, a really valuable book uh, to, to get you acquainted with the fur market. Um, nice little guide. And, and might, you might get a couple ideas from that on uh, some alternatives to selling your fur that might be more profitable than, than doing it the way you're doing it. So uh, with those plugs out of the way, um, I don't know how this episode's going to go. So I don't really have much planned. Uh, I've been talking for... Uh, the last, probably the last 10 episodes about doing a lure uh, episode, and it's been bothering me a lot. Uh, and, and the reason, trapping lure is, is a pre- pretty controversial subject, and I have my own opinions on it. And I am not an old, grizzled old trapper who has uh, multiple decades of experience working with different lures so I recognize that a lot of what I say um, may not hold as much weight to people so I've hesitated to talk about trapping lure for quite a while for that reason uh, I didn't want to sound like I I knew more than I do and and I I don't want to blow smoke um, ever so it's just just not something I, I like to do so I hesitated and I thought about it and I decided to put it off and I put it off and the fact is I do have a lot of opinions on trapping lure so um, whether or not I'm correct whether or not uh, you you hold uh, you, you put much 
um, weight into what I I say. I hope you realize that, that this is my opinion, and you can take it or leave it. Um, if you you know if you're a lure maker and you want to get on the podcast, I'd love to have you on, and we can discuss things and and you can tell me maybe set me straight on some things where I'm wrong. And uh, or you start your own podcast and and talk to people about um, about your lures. I mean, I think that's a great way to to communicate with people. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I I really don't want to trash anybody's lures um, because I I just that's that's not good for trapping in general. And I, and I I don't want anyone to take offense to what I say about trapping lures. But I want trappers to think. I want you to think about about every aspect of of your trap line, and and really be critical about things. And and some of the problems that we have with the lure industry is directly associated with the way we think as trappers. So take that all with a grain of salt. Um, and and again, because of my hesitations, I really didn't come up with a good structure for this episode so I'm just going to kind of roll rattle on and I may pause to gather my thoughts here and there Um, and it may sound a little scatterbrained but we'll see where it takes us so I guess I want to start off by by really thinking about trapping lure and what what the purpose of trapping lure is so you all know what lure is. It's that thing that's sold in one ounce or four ounce bottles. And you put it at your set and your target animal comes from miles away, right? And and just runs into your set and tries to get gets himself caught because the lure is so great. Um, <laughs> so in reality, lure, lure kind of was developed as a way to enhance attraction at a set. Um, the old, real old school trappers getting starting out in the in trapping, you know, you were basically talking. Um, the main attractor was bait, bait, and and possibly urine. Started getting into urine, and uh, and lure kind of kind of was developed along the way. But your lure is is an I think we should all focus and think about lure as an enhancement to a set and not the number one ingredient of a trap set. So the I'll just start off with, you know, the biggest problem I have with lure is it's sold as a cure-all or as the, the ultimate solution to your problems as a trapper. And there are a few reasons for that, and I just... A great example is you go on any trapping supply website and look through the selection of lures and just look at the descriptions of those lures. And just about every description on every bottle of lure will tell you that um, this is a top quality lure or some tell you this is the best lure you're going to find for this species. The animals can't resist it. Uh, it's great for all seasons. It's really especially good for this predator, but but it'll also attract these ones, and it's good for early season, but it's also good for late season, and on and on and on and on and on. And it kind of gets your head spinning if you're actually looking. If if you are 
firmly convinced that uh, some lures are much better than others, uh, then you're going to have quite a time um, wading through this this huge selection of lures because there's at least 20 or 30 major lure makers, not to mention a bunch of uh, smaller time lure makers uh, in the industry. And they're all vying for your dollar as a trapper. So I don't blame the guys, honestly, um, because it is, a lot of it is marketing. I think, I think a lot of it has, lure sales have much more to do with marketing, in my opinion, than they do with the quality of the lure. And I'll, I'll give you an example of that, just uh, off the top of my head. Uh, Oscar Kronk, Kronk's, um, Kronk's Lures in Maine. They're probably one of the best quality lures that you're going to find. Um, it, it, if we assume that there's a wide variation in quality, which I, I question as it is. But, you know, this was... Uh, Lon Arnold, Walter Arnold. Lon was a market hunter in the 1870s. Walter uh, grew up um, in the in the teens. He started trapping and making trapping lures and selling them across the country. Uh, Walter Arnold was an absolute legend in the trapping and lure industries. Uh, he had a mail order business for a long time. Uh, in fact, I would venture to guess that if Walter Hunter was alive today, he would be on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. He'd have a YouTube channel. He'd have a podcast going. He'd have a website, a blog. Uh, he'd be doing it all because uh, that guy was an innovator, and he was always looking for new ways to sell things and and to uh, show people what he had to offer and share information with other trappers. How many trapping supply companies do you see that sell Arnold uh, Kronk's lures? So Oscar Kronk uh, bought the lure business from Walter Arnold, and Walter taught him how to make the lures and, and gave him all, all of the recipes and so on. The lures are the same. Um, these lures have been used uh, throughout Maine and uh, a lot of parts, other parts of the country for over 100 years. Um why is it that only one or two supply dealers have Kerry Kronk's lures? Because Mr. Kronk is a legend, but he's not into the, the marketing thing. He's old school. He's like 90 years old. Uh, a great, great guy, but he doesn't have an online catalog. He doesn't advertise in a bunch of places. He doesn't push to get his product in a bunch of uh, different stores. So that's just an, one example of uh, a whole host of reasons that uh, lure, quality of lure and sales are not necessarily um, one and the same. So why are some lures uh, maybe better than others, more effective? What, what makes a lure effective? What makes a lure a good trapping lure? Well, let's get back to thinking about what the purpose is of a trapping lure. And at its very base, um, the reason, the purpose of a trapping lure is to attract an animal to a set and to keep that animal at the set. So you're going to do that um, 
a variety of ways, but of course it's very obvious you want to get the animal to the set so that you can catch it and you want to keep it there because the more time spent at the set, you know, you're let's let's say you got a, a coyote set and you got a foothold trap in the dirt there, um, bedded in front of the a dirt hole or, or a post scent post or whatever. Um, you want that animal to spend enough time at the set where it's gonna keep placing its foot in different areas till that foot that pad of the foot sets down onto the pan of your trap and you get them caught. So um, that's the purpose of the lure. So how does it do that? Um, there are, are a variety of different types of lures and um, they're used for different reasons. So um, a very basic one is a food lure. So a food-based lure, it appeals to an animal's um, feeding instinct. It appeals to hunger. So if you're beaver trapping, a food-based lure would be uh, a scent that is uh, similar resembles what the beaver would like to eat. Um, same thing with muskrats. You know, muskrat lure, oftentimes they're sweet and they resemble probably a um, piece of vegetation that has a high sugar content. So uh, something that that would resemble like uh, an apple or a parsnip or, or something sweet that muskrats would associate with sugar because there's a lot of energy in sugar and they associate that with weight gain and that's how they stay alive. So that's food lure. Um, for, for a coyote that might be something with a base that uh, smells like um, a certain type of meat whether that's horse meat or bobcat meat or or whatever so so that's you know you got the food lure the other type of lure is a gland lure and the gland lure is basically made with ground up uh, glands from uh, another animal and typically that's going to be an animal of the same species so a coyote gland lure is going to be made up of glands from other coyotes and the reason that works is a coyote is walking down uh, into an area it goes by a set it can smell that lure and immediately it can detect that another coyote was there because of the glands and so it identifies another coyote that can result in a number of different reactions um, it can be a maybe a territorial reaction so what's that coyote doing in my area you know this is my territory um, I gotta go investigate that set and see what's going on or it can be curiosity who is this um, do I wanna is this my brother that I haven't seen in a while um, is is this uh, somebody totally different that I you know is part, not part of our social structure gonna figure this out uh, it can be sexual so it could be um, glands and maybe oh that might be a female coyote and I need to to get over there and see if she needs to be bred because that's a very um, a very primal instinct. So, so a number of, for a number of ways, glands can be used um, it, as a base and as a large part of a lure to attract animals. Now, if you're talking like um, uh, sometimes glands from muskrats can be used in a food-based lure or a curiosity lure for other animals. Uh, beaver caster, which is um, you know the the uh, one of the scent the scent glands from beaver 
that's used for uh, in a variety of different curiosity gland uh, food based lures for different species uh, primarily predators but also uh, gland based lure for other beavers territorial instinct breeding and so on so um, you get the food lure you get the gland lure and then probably another category I would say is the call lure and the call lure is a primarily a curiosity lure and usually you'll hear call associated with long distance so long distance call I, I make one I sell a long distance call lure uh, basically because I couldn't find one that worked well for me so so I made one uh, that I use in my trap line uh, but the the primary purpose of a long distance call lure is to get an animal to your set from a long distance and that can draw or attract an animal for a number of reasons um, I think the primary one is curiosity so in our long distance call lures the the overpowering odor in that lure is going to be typically skunk essence and you know the predators aren't really looking to eat skunks and they're not coyotes not looking to breed with a skunk uh, the only reason that they're going to go there is well what's up with that you know if there's they can smell it from a very long distance and animals fur bears are are very inquisitive especially predators they're always looking for something and if they smell something like a skunk where maybe they didn't smell it before they're gonna have some curiosity there and they're gonna go over and investigate it you know maybe something's going on there where maybe there's a maybe there's a carcass of a deer and and a skunk uh, happened upon it, and it and um, you know left a little bit of odor while it was feeding on that carcass. And maybe I can go and and feed on that carcass myself. Uh, maybe my friend coyote was over there investigating a den and got into a skunk, and the skunk sprayed him. So I better go check that out. Uh, so so the reason for the skunk odor isn't necessarily associated with the the actual species skunk it's the fact that that odor can carry for such a long distance and it's something that gets animals in um, one one example is uh, you can you can attract a lot of fur bears with simply just some skunk essence mixed in Vaseline and we talk about that a lot in Maine when we trap for Martin uh, it, and, and it works it works really well so uh, very simple and it, it really shouldn't um, you would almost think it shouldn't work but it's just it smells like something so um, it, over time uh, we as trappers have associated that skunk smell with a, a call lure and it smells like skunk it must be good it smells like I smell like skunk it must be trapping season you know so uh, anyway so those are the our basic you know our our food lures, our gland lures, our call lures, you can split those up in a number of, of different ways, but th those are the basic types of lures. Now, let, let's think about lures as trappers, and let's pretend that there's no commercial lures on the market whatsoever. And you want to make a trapping lure that will um, do what you need it to do on the trap line, and let's say you want to make a, a gland lure. Well, you caught a few coyotes, you cut out the anal glands, 
maybe you cut out glands from the neck and from some foot pads even. You grind them all up, you mix them in with a preservative, say glycerin or uh, sodium benzoate or uh, some salt even. Uh, you bottle that up and you put a, a little dab of that at each set that you make. What's wrong with that? I, I would say that's a very acceptable coyote lure. Um, in fact, some of the old-time trappers uh, using a gland lure, they might just cut that gland out and stick it, um, stick it at their set without doing any of that stuff. So uh, it, it's very basic and it works. So why is it that there are 30, 40, 50 different coyote gland lures on the market? And every lure maker's gland lure is supposedly better than the others. Or this one is superior. This is the best. This is as good as it gets. W what's that all about? Um, do they preserve their glands better than others? Are the glands fresher? Uh, are they mixing something else in with the gland? Is the preservative type of preservative, the amount of preservative... Uh, different or <clears throat> does it elicit a different response in the way the lure smells? Um, it's just glands. It's glands. So I, I think if you have a good gland lure, you have a good gland lure. It doesn't matter uh, who it comes from. If someone didn't screw it up too bad, it's going to catch coyotes, right? So th that's, you know, sort of where the issues that I have stem from when it comes to trapping lures. Uh, you have uh, the call lures, the, the food lures. The food lures, okay, so you got food lures and you got baits, and, and we won't even get into baits very much because I, I actually think in a lot of cases baits are more important than lures um, on many trap lines, uh, but we'll try to skirt that issue for now. Um, but let's say you have a, a food lure and one lure maker is mixing five or six different ingredients in there that is going to be superior to the other food lure. Um, how do we know that that coyote, that muskrat, that beaver is partial to one type of food lure or another? How do we know that that animal is going to be attracted by a scent that has five different types of food attractant in it compared to one that just smells like poplar bud, right? Uh, you know, an animal's trying to pick apart that they smell five different things. Well, that doesn't make sense. What's up with that? Maybe that's something else that I don't really need to investigate. I want to. I don't want to waste my energy going 20, 30 yards in that direction. Uh, for for what may or may not be food or maybe some weird thing that I don't know about. I'm not curious right now. I'm going to go and find what I know is food, right? So um, just another thing to consider when, when you're thinking about these types of lures. Uh, what about a call lure? So call lures, uh, you know, you have your basic call um, ingredient like skunk essence, but uh, you're also going to have a lot of other ingredients in there and um you know I I'll tell you my my call lure I've got uh I've got skunk essence beaver caster and I've got several different um 
I get anise oil and I get several different musks. Uh, I get Tonquin, Ambrette, uh, Muscaro. It, it just just to you know add a few different attractants, get that curiosity going, and get that animal interested in the set. It's a very broad, very very basic, but also very um, versatile type of lure. I just want to get an animal close enough to where they smell my bait and they can key in on it and and get after it. Um, but we we get into this situation where certain uh, blends, certain varieties, certain recipes of this proportion of this and that proportion of that ingredient are suddenly a secret formula that is something that is far superior to uh, other lures on the market. And that's that's where I really have a hard time discussing and talking about this subject because I honestly feel I feel like kind of a jerk to try and tell act like I know more than a, a lure maker who's put his heart and soul into this so so I try not to say much but I, but again I have a hard time not sharing my opinion on it um, so how do we know that this lure is superior this combination of ingredients is superior to uh, another combination of ingredients that another lure maker made I mean well, well I know how most trappers decide that it's superior they read the ads in the magazines they get on the websites and they read the descriptions they look at whose name they recognize most which I get it you know it's social capital it's social proof that that person has a reputation. Obviously, if a guy catches um, hundreds of animals, uh, a particular species, they know what they're doing, and they're using their own lure, I would hope, uh, if they're selling it. And it, obviously, they've proven that that lure works. Who's to say that lure works better than the guy down the road that makes his own? Um, have you tested it? Well, one of the things that we as trappers don't often think about is you know our our fellow lure makers um, are not a bunch of scientists in white lab coats in these sterile lab environments with test tubes mixing up precise little droplets of this ingredient and that ingredient I mean we're dealing with rotten meat we're dealing with fish oil and guts and glands and poop and urine and all kinds of different stuff and then and then we got a bunch of ingredients that may be synthetic maybe natural maybe come from different parts of the world and we're mixing it all up and some of them have different strength and potency sometimes one batch will be completely different than another batch this is not something that can be measured scientifically in most cases this is an art. This lure making is an art. And and it's hard to standardize a particular lure uh, unless you know you you really have a handle on the ingredients you use and and you know proportions and potency and quality of those ingredients and so on. So it, it it's just to start with um, 
we're starting with something that may or may not be suitable for like really rigorous scientific uh, investigation. Second, how much testing needs to be done to determine that this one lure is superior to another. And and this is where things get extremely difficult because we as trappers are not dealing in a laboratory environment with uh, animals that make or uh, uh, are, are like robots and make the same decisions all the time in this similar habitat, similar conditions. We are dealing with you know, anytime you know, I'm I'm a scientist by um, by profession, and and I I conduct research studies on fish uh, all the time, and we're always looking to minimize it, the number of different variables that are going to influence the results of our study. Uh, and you do that by trying to isolate those variables. You you anytime you do any type of a treatment, you have a control. Um, you have um, your sample size uh, is going to be uh, you're going to have as large of a sample size as you possibly can because that will increase your precision your uh, rigor of uh, your statistical results uh, th there are just a number of different considerations uh, you're going to have uh, as many replicates as you can in, in every experiment uh, so if you're going out and you're making you're on the trap line and you're setting you're setting out traps and say you got two sets for every stop and you're putting this lure in one set and, and another lure in the other set uh, in order to properly evaluate that to consider the prevailing wind the moisture the temperature the uh, type of animal animal pat movement patterns, habitat, uh, what the set looks like, the backing, uh, the terrain, the animal, what the animal is thinking at the time it goes by the set, um, what is attracting that particular animal, differences in individual animals and their preferences, uh, different hierarchies in uh within a particular pack of coyotes for instance or a colony of beavers there are just so many different things you're going to have to have thousands thousands of catches in order to be able to say confidently 100% this lure is better than that lure and that brings us to the actual government studies the the scientific studies have been conducted um, by government researchers on on the effectiveness of trapping lures. And I haven't gone into super deep detail on, on these studies. I did look at one the other day. Uh, there has been a lot of work. So uh, the reason that there's been so much work on trapping lure, it's primarily because of coyotes. And, and that is because the livestock industry is a very important economic industry in the United States. And coyotes kill a lot of livestock, primarily sheep. So, especially when the sheep industry was strong in in the Western U.S., um, it's declined considerably re in recent decades. But when it was strong, there was a lot of coyote research going on because coyotes killed a lot of sheep. They do kill calves as well, but they killed a lot of sheep. And 
there were government trappers, there still are government trappers, USDA Wildlife Services, uh, that kill a lot of coyotes. And so there's been tons of government money pumped into these studies to determine uh, how to make these government trappers the most effective that we can. And there's been many, 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 many millions and millions and millions of dollars put into this. It's it's unbelievable how much money's been put into this and and it makes a guy cringe at uh, you know whether or not the taxpayers actually got their money's worth but I, I won't get political on that end too much but um I'm looking at this study uh, wildlife society bulletin from uh, 1983 and um we're looking at a comparison of a number of different lures it's called The Efficacy of Odor Lures and Baits for Coyotes by Frank Turkowski from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Colorado. And um, basically they did these field tests on a, a very, very large sample size of coyotes. And they tested the different lure types. And what bothered me was they didn't actually give us any lure names. They gave us... Um, Carmen's Carmen's distant call was one of the lures they used, and that that actually ranked third in their list of of uh, efficacy of these lures. Um, but they had like in mass number six. I don't even know if mass. I don't, I don't know if that even exists anymore. I, I don't believe it does. Maybe someone bought them out um, and is making it. If if you are, let me know. But uh, and then they have like uh, Oregon ADC trap, Arizona ADC, Nevada ADC. Uh, there is a Montana. It's not in there in this chart I'm looking at. But basically, it was uh, lures that these ADC trappers either made or uh, used. And, and they didn't give away a lot of the trade names of these lures. Um, but it was, it was the dude's uh, preferences, what, what they liked uh, to use uh, on their lines as, as they were doing this damage control work. And... I'm going to give you just the very basics of, of this study because it, it, it's this is really drives home the point of what we need to know. So the number the number one lure um, that had the most elicited the most visits. Well, let's let's just look at the controls. Blank controls. So so they measured um, percentage of visits. Uh, of these different sets so so they had um, they'd have a trap set with a particular type of lure and then they'd they I think they put these pads down to look at and so they could see tracks and they collected urine and, and so on to determine and determine whether an animal visited um, whether they pulled carried bit dug scratched rolled urinated or defecated at these sets um, and and just to uh, drive the point home, it, it, the reason they did all these is you know they're using M44s, so um, wh which is like a bite that the animal has to grab and pull um, on this to to inject cyanide into uh, that coyote to kill it. Um, it's it's to be it, it. Long story short, it's just in order to make those uh, poison sets. Uh, more targeted toward coyotes so you're not killing a bunch of other animals and and that's the whole thing's a controversial deal anyway I'm not even going to touch it um, I'm not going to touch it right now so um, very, very at the very basics the the whole um, 
bite, dig, scratch, roll, urine, defecate, almost no percentage of animals actually did that at those sets. But there were a lot of visits. Um, But to drive the point home, the blank controls. So this is sets, uh, trap sites where they put zero lure on those traps. They had a visitation of 14.1%. So without even any lure, you had 14.1% visitation at those sets. Um, That just shows that animals are investigating something that looks different, whether there's not lure there or not. And if there were bait, I can guarantee you that 14.1% would be a lot higher. Now the top lure that tested out in in this um, study was 48, 41.8%, 41.8% visitation rate. Anybody want to guess what that is? It's not even a lure, okay? The, the number one attractant to get animals to visit the set was synthetic fermented egg. Uh, some of you have heard of that, many of you have not. Uh, SFE, synthetic fermented egg, is a synthetic compound that smells like rotten eggs. Very basic, very simple. And this has been known by uh, government trappers through government studies for a long time. This attracts coyotes. And uh, one of the upshots of this study is uh, they noticed that this fermented egg attracts coyotes more than any other lure, any commercial lure. So why are these trappers using the lures? Because they didn't like the smell of rotten egg. (laughs) <laughs> and they didn't want to handle that synthetic fermented egg. That was what, what uh, you know, one of the comments in the study was uh, a lot of trapper preferences had to do with uh, not not liking the smell of that. Um, very repulsive smell of rotten eggs, having that in the truck all day, whatever. So um, anyway, uh, going down, the Oregon ADC was like 4% lower. Carmen's was 33% compared to 41. Mass was 27. Arizona... Uh, Lures 26, Nevada's 22. Um, but you know, basically, let's think about this a little critical. The reason that you do blind controls is so that you can determine uh, how significant those differences are, where you actually actually see something um, statistically different in a study um, for di- different treatments. And if if we know um, looking at the study that in blind blank controls 14% uh, predators visited those sets with absolutely no lure in them. We go back and we compare the synthetic fermented egg with Carmen's distant call and mast and a couple other calls. We notice that the spread between the top um, five different lures was equal or less than the blank control. So what does that mean? I mean to me that that means that the differences in the ability we know synthetic egg is probably superior in getting an animal to set. But that superiority is such a small percentage relative to the overall importance of the lure at a set. So I hope that makes some sense. And I hope that it, it gets you thinking a little bit about about trapping lure. And I know not everybody's going to agree with my line of uh, thinking on this. But I think 
if you have a good quality lure, probably the top 20 or 30 lure makers are making a lure that's going to be more than adequate for your trap line. Uh, what it, how important is lure compared to location? Think about that. How important is lure compared to location? Um, and, and when you think of location, think of micro location, macro location. Um, in other words, the valley that you're in, macro location, are there any coyotes there? The flowage that you're in, are there any beaver there? Because I don't care how long distance your call is, you're not going to call them for miles away. Um, you can pay the most for the best lure and you're not going to bring them in. Micro location, you, you're in the valley where the coyotes are, you're in the flowage where the beavers are. You make your set for coyotes tucked in a little fur thicket when the coyotes running down the main road or, or a heavy game trail. They're not going to see it or it's, it's downwind from the prevailing wind direction. They're not going to smell it. You could pay a thousand dollars an ounce for your lure. It's not going to bring him in guys. Lure is a tool. Um, just like baits a tool, just like your traps a tool. Um, most importantly, your head, your brain is a tool. And you got to use your brain to think about these things and, and really consider what the most important and, and what the relative importance is of every aspect of your trap line. So um, we need to get our sets in the right location. We need to understand and know that we're on animals, both macro location, we're in a drainage, an area that has animals that we're targeting uh, to uh, at a high enough density that we're going to be able to effectively catch them. And micro location, that where when that animal passes by the area, it's going to notice uh, your set. Um, we got to have the right type of set. We have to properly construct that set. We got to have the right eye appeal, whether that's a dirt hole where we want a bunch of eye appeal or uh, you know, a flat set where we, we maybe we want to make it look really natural, like there's there's nothing scuffed up there, and and just another coyote pass by. Um, <clears throat> the same thing with a beaver caster mound set or a blind set for beaver or whatever. Um, and then we get into lure, and I think if you had the top 20 lure makers and you had a bottle of each of their lures, um, say a bottle of each of their coyote glen lures, and you're gonna make a flat set, you could uh, stick those in a hat and you could close your eyes and pick one out of the hat and you're going to catch a coyote with it okay so uh, that's not to say there aren't differences there are differences in quality and for uh, lure makers really get get up on me and, and give me a hard time about this and tell me I don't know what I'm talking about which maybe I don't but um, <clears throat> there are differences in, in lure quality there are differences in quality of ingredients there may be some guys that are trying to cut a few corners and tough fur market and so on. <clears throat> there may be some uh, products that aren't as good as others. But that difference is is far, far smaller than a lot of us think um, as trappers. And, and we need to really remember that we can't be using lures as a crutch. Uh, a good lure will not make you a good trapper. 
And and think about this. Um, these guys, first of all, these guys are are all advertising their lures as the best in the world because that's what we buy. We as trappers are the market. And they're trying to make a living making these lures. And if if they don't put that in, they're not going to sell as many lures to you because you want the one that's the best. And if they say it's the best, it must be the best. So so just think about that, you know. Um, we buy into this hype a lot. Uh, I, we over, I think we overvalue the, the actual importance of... Uh, what edge the best lure gives you and and yes all other things being equal maybe one lure is better than the other and it's going to catch you more fur um, but all other things are not equal are not equal if you go out and you you make uh, 20 coyote sets with one lure and yours lure is better than mine and I go out and make 40 coyote sets I'm still going to catch more coyotes than you all other things being equal so that's you know let's let's put lure in its proper place and, and uh, think think on these terms all lure is essentially the same price every one ounce bottle is pretty much six dollars right now and every four ounce bottle is twenty what does that tell you you know if they <clears throat> just think about it just think about it um, lure is a tool and it's not the holy grail you get a good lure maker that has a good reputation catches a lot of fur and uses quality ingredients use their lure and be happy with it but if you can't find it you know find somebody else and and you're probably going to do just as good uh one of the things that i've done in, in my lure and i think some some lure makers do this um i i, I hesitate to go into this too much but I, i'll start by just saying there's a little bit of a hocus pocus game um, where th- there's a mystique to in- lure ingredients and formulations and uh, <clears throat> this is a secret formulation and it's worth this much and I will never share it and I it, it's it's just so good that I can't tell you anything about it. I can't even give you a hint as to what's in this, but it's the best, and you got to trust me that it's the best. And yeah, maybe you you use it, and it works good for you, and then you affirm that it's the best in, in your mind, um, partially because you've gone ahead um, before you used it and pre-programmed your mind to think that it was the best. Uh, but that's another subject. Um, but th- there's a marketing mentality there, and there's a, there's a mindset there <clears throat> with... You know the it, it's all marketing. It's this is this is a secret. This is extremely valuable. I can't tell you. That's why it's extremely valuable because somebody else could make this, and they if I gave this recipe this little recipe away, then um, this would I I would no longer have my edge. Everybody else would would be able to make this lure. And uh, it would just be crazy. Uh, Bill Nelson, I don't think, uh, bought into that. You know, old-time legendary lure maker. He shared he shared a lot of recipes. Um, the Cotts brothers, uh, Cotts brothers lures, Kyle and Kellen Cotts, uh, they they've shared a lot of lures. Now they can't share 
share everything. Um, we're all, everybody's kind of stuck in this, uh, in this industry where you can't, you can't really share things because it's so competitive and, and the mystique of people not knowing what's in your lures is what uh, gets, you know, that that's what helps sell lure. It, um, it's just a reality of the game. So for me, it's been, it's kind of refreshing because I, I don't really care. Um, cause I, I'm not, I don't have a stake in the lure business. Um, I'll tell you why I started making lure because, uh, so, so I was running a Martin trap line in Northern Maine and I needed a long distance call lure for a number of reasons, but uh, primarily the, the, just the way the, the ground is where we're at. Um, it's, it's difficult to pinpoint micro location on Martin and we, we need to be able to pull them in from a distance in a lot of cases. Uh, they're just the, the logging practices, the way there's so many roads and trails and everything, it just, it makes it very difficult to find these historic sort of long-term travel ways. Things are just changing so fast <clears throat> and the ground is, is not very, um, there, there aren't a lot of long-term well-used patterns in, in land use, uh, as well as Martin and Fisher are completely changing their habitat use from year to year based on feed availability. Uh, some years they're up on hardwood ridges, some years they're down in the swamps, uh, and so on. So so we can't really pinpoint where we're going to find them. We also can't uh, find a lot of Martin scat and tracks uh, <clears throat> until we get snow on the ground, then we can find some tracks. But it's really hard to to really know where these animals are. So we got to be able to pull them in. And I need a long-distance call that would work. Now... <clears throat> A number of people sell long distance calls, but they don't always work in our conditions in northern Maine. On our trap line in November and December, we experience a wide variety of conditions. And the weather can go from a deep freeze all the way up to warm 50 degrees. And we can get snow, we can get a foot or two of snow we can get a few inches and we can get rain. So <clears throat> there's a wide fluctuation in temperatures that we experience and a, a lure really has to hold up. And I experimented with this for a few years. You know, I, I did Martin Trap out in Montana and Utah a little bit and uh, it was a different game uh, because you didn't have the moisture. And when I come back to Maine and I started experimenting a little bit I you know the best lure I needed a lure that was waterproof um, had a waterproof base uh, and that was hard to find so I had you know something that was freeze proof and something that had a really strong skunky uh, long distance call so um, long story short there's a lot of good Martin lures out on the market and there's a lot of good long just general long-distance call lures. Uh, <clears throat> Tim Caven's Gusto is one of the more popular Martin and Fisher call lures. Uh, Oscar Cronk's Allagash Fur Call, that is an excellent lure. Um, as far as close in, uh, not so much a call lure, but just a general Martin lure. Uh, Lennon's, um, I got from, from John Chagnon, PCS, uh, Lennon's Martin Super All Call. 
uh, that's a really that's a really neat. There's a unique smell to that lure, and it's I think it's really attractive to Martin. Um, I even used a from Milligan's Lures um, a 200 proof LDC. The problem with all those lures is if they're out in the open and it get rained on, uh, they kind of just melt away and and wash away with the rain, and then it freezes down after the an inch of rain. And you go over to the set and you stick your nose two inches away and you can't really smell it. Um, now, it, that can be solved. You can, if you have that lure covered uh, and sheltered from the rain, if, say if you're using a box, you can stick that in a box um, under some cover. You stick it under some, some fir boughs or spruce and you can mitigate some of that problem. But um, what I'm doing is early in the season when the weather's a little bit more mild, uh, I'm I'm sticking that out on a limb above my set, um, or within you know like six feet of my set, but not at the set because I want to get the animal there. But that long distance call can be a little overpowering when they get to the set and they're trying to find the bait, um, and and we struggle because we got to get them into a box, a, a links exclusion device. That's a whole a whole other um, mess there to discuss later. But basically. You know, I want I want to get them in, and I got to have a call that's going to work under all these different conditions. Um, there's one, there's only one that I found, and, and you know, uh, like Jerry Braley here in Maine, and a bunch of guys just make their own, and they mix Vaseline and skunk essence, and it works great. The problem is Vaseline, or it's petroleum jelly. Um, <clears throat> it 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 tends to to form a crust on the outside of it when it's exposed to the air for a few days and that crust can kind of lock in the odor um, again the the more liquid based lures if they're not covered the rain will wash them away they're not waterproof um, guy named I think it's I think it's Scott Phillips in Utah he's either Utah or Colorado he was at Utah Trappers Association when I was there and he did, he made a lure there, and it was probably the best uh, lure that I've ever used for our conditions in Maine. <clears throat> it was called, uh, I think it was called Magnum Martin, and he, I believe he still sells this, like Northwest Predator Control uh, Lures or whatever, um, but anyway, it, you know, if you're not out there in Utah, you get on the website, you get a, you get a call on them, you get a you know, make sure it's in stock and everything, and and they can't, they won't take a credit card on the internet. Uh, you gotta, you gotta do a phone order, and if you want it in two days, you want it on the weekend. It's not well distributed, so you can't find it in a lot of different places. But that lure does the trick, and and the trick is it's a grease-based lure. Um, the grease base allows it to be waterproof. It allows it to have that thick taffy-like consistency. Um, and it allows it to not freeze. It's so it's freeze-proof, it's waterproof, and it doesn't crust over, and it just continues to work all throughout the season. So I went on a quest, and and not to say you know prop, maybe I should have just called up Scott and said I need to I need to buy like ten cases of this stuff and sell it to everybody and and. Uh, you know, really promote it for the lure that it is, because it really is a good lure. I don't, I don't know all what's in it, um, but I know, I know primarily what it's made out of. Um, but instead of going that route, I was a little independent. And I thought, why don't I just make my own? 
So, um, you know, that was about the time I got to be friendly with Cots Brothers, and uh, I bought a bunch of supplies from them, and I started started making some of my own. And I experimented uh, with a number of different things. Actually, before I went to Greece, I tried uh, lanolin, because, you know, lanolin's waterproof. It's got a little bit of sheep odor. Um, it's, um, I thought it would it would hold up to the water. I wasn't sure how it would do in freezing. I tested it under freezing conditions, and it freezes hard as a rock, even if you mix glycerin with it. And I tried a number of different things. It, <clears throat> it wasn't going to work. Uh, I did the Vaseline thing, petroleum jelly. It crusted over. I didn't like it. I also had some fish oil incorporated that lure, and I found I felt like the fish oil kind of just diluted the lure a little bit, and it messed with the consistency, and didn't always mix well with other ingredients. I just didn't like it. I felt like I was watering down my lure um, with some cheap fish oil. Um, so anyway, I I narrowed it down to basically I found a, I found a grease that would work well. It's a kind of a food grade. Uh, lithium grease and uh, it's a wicked expensive it's way I don't know how Scott um, makes much money with that lure but it's it's wicked expensive base uh, but it it is just absolutely money and uh, pure quill skunk essence uh, beaver castor I ended up uh, using castorium um, <clears throat> and then I wanted to have you know beaver castor is just a, a basic all-around attractant I wanted to call a lure that would uh, would pull them in from a long distance and just have a few different attractants that generally were good to uh, call um, to bring in predators and, and get predators at a set. Um, just very general. I, again, I, I'm not a strong believer that there is this magic ingredient or magic combination of ingredients that's going to uh, uh, be perfect. Um, I, had, I added anise oil. I played around with different... Um, proportions of anise oil in the mix uh, it got a little sweeter than I wanted and I, I dialed it down a little bit uh, Tonquin musk which is an unbelievably good attractant uh, civet musk muscaro amberette um, a combination of all those things but I basically just made a long distance call lure and uh, I made it for my trap line and I threw it up on it eBay and uh, put a little something on the website I've sold a few bottles of it and I, I really, I, I'm kind of, because I'm not part of this whole lure making establishment or whatever you want to call it, you know, a group of guys, really a bunch of good guys that make trap and lure for a part of their living. Um, I don't really uh, have a need to have any secrets in this trade. So I basically share, you know, I just told you all the ingredients in my LDC lure. Um I'll tell you what my my I make some bait. It's it's ground up beaver meat with fish oil and sodium benzoate, and uh, uh, I believe I put some anise in it. A few other ingredients. <clears throat> I I don't believe there's a bunch of huge secrets. So um, I may you know maybe some lure maker can convince me differently. Maybe some government researcher we can you know we can look in depth and uh, but if we're if we're talking about a 5% difference in allure's efficacy versus a 85% difference in whether you put this uh, set on this side of the valley or that side of the valley. Um, a 
90% difference whether you have bait in that dirt hole or not bait in that dirt hole or a 23% difference on whether you put it on the downwind side or the upwind side of the prevailing wind um, on that trail. Um, I, I think I think we're dealing with relative differences and relative importance. So um, so I kind of I just started making this and kind of I joke around that it's just the no secrets lure. I I just don't have any secrets and <clears throat> really you know as a scientist and as a someone that's inquisitive about this stuff I really want to know what works and what doesn't so maybe there is a little difference but how do you know if you're purchasing this one guy's lure and you oh I know it works it works really well well what is it in that lure that works that doesn't work in other lures how do you know you don't know what the ingredients are um, <clears throat> some guys give you a little bit like uh, Mark June Mark June's lures uh, I've noticed he he gives you a little bit of information and what generally what's in them. A few other guys do too, um, to an extent. Uh, but you know, really, I I think it'd be kind of cool for someone to have a trap and lure where they knew exactly all the ingredients that were in it, and they could say, well, maybe I want to buy this other lure, and I know what ingredients are in that one, and I'm going to compare the two and see how they work on my line. Um, really, that's where the experimentation is most important. Is if there is a 10% difference, um, how does that relate to your trap line? Is it 10% on your line? Maybe it's 15, maybe it's 5, maybe it's none. Maybe we'll never know. Um, but that's part of this whole game. That's why this whole thing, trapping, is so so much fun and keeps us all going. It's just a, it's a constant uh, constant learning experience, and I, I love every every bit of it. So anyway, I guess I, I've, I've gone about two episodes worth here. And I, I had to rattle on a little bit. I apologize. Apologize uh, for any lure makers I may have offended or people who have, you know, lures that are really effective. I, I really didn't, I don't mean to do that. Um, I just want to get get us all as trappers thinking about that and, and thinking about, you know, the real importance of lure, uh, how it relates to the rest of the aspects of our trap line how lure is marketed and how we as trappers really influence that marketing and uh you know just let's just talk about it it's it's a good discussion to have so i hope that was useful i'd love to hear feedback from you guys uh, if you have opinions on that and and so on and uh with that keep on trapping keep on talking trapping keep on thinking trapping and uh we'll catch you on the next episode thanks <laughs>